are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome to another Monday edition of Locked On NBA, the biggest stories with the local experts. I'm your Monday host, Jackson Gatlin, also host of Locked On Rockets right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we'll be chatting with Doug Norrie from Locked On Nets as the KD saga situation in Brooklyn appears to maybe be reaching a boiling point as Kevin Durant is now issuing ultimatums to the Brooklyn Nets and Joe Sy took to Twitter to issue a rebuttal of sorts stating his support for the Brooklyn Nets front office then we chat with Darian Vaziri from Locked On Clippers to see the state of the LA Clippers offseason, what the addition of John Wall means for that team moving forward, and whether or not this is a make it or break it year for the Clippers. Then lastly, we chat with Philip Rossman Reich from Locked On Magic about the newest beef in the NBA between Paolo Bancaro and DeJounte Murray and what that rivalry will look like moving forward. But first, want to thank you for making Making Locked on NBA your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is Doug Nori from Locked on Nets. You can follow on Twitter, the Bird app, at Doug Nori. Now, Doug, in the, the latest in the roller coaster that is the Kevin Durant saga, Katie's issuing ultimatums now, digging his heels in, remains committed to his trade request, basically saying he doesn't, you know, reportedly saying he doesn't want to play under Sean Marks, Steve Nash. It's, you know, going to Joe Sy saying it's, it's either me or them. Look, you know, and then you had Joe Sy come out on Twitter and basically backing his front office, the organization, saying, you know, quote, our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. So, Doug, starting with that, just just how did you feel about this message from Joe Sy? You know, what does that say about kind of how the Nets are likely to navigate uh, the, the rest of this KD saga moving forward? Um, yeah, I mean, it all feels like kind of a mess, uh, for sure. There, the, this isn't like how you would usually want to see it played out in the court of public Twitter or, or social media. The joke has been now Nash is going to get onto TikTok, and that's going to be his response, uh, just because of the way, just because of the way this kind of thing whole sh- the whole thing shakes out. I mean, it's a little, it's all off meter for sure. It's very unclear kind of what anybody wants because the the Durant piece, the Durant ultimatum, felt more like a dirty bomb meant to sow discord than it was maybe a real ultimatum. So, and then size response felt a little knee jerk also to just jump on the Twitter and say, Hey, I got everyone's back and this is how it's going to be because that just doesn't feel like what owners typically do. And and I think that's really what it all boils down to is this is all very atypical, right? It's one thing to ask for a trade. Many stars have done this in the past. Many will do it in the future. It's another for the star to have that come out and say specifically what who they maybe want fired. Like that rarely happens. Stars get coaches fired all the time that no one ever talks about it. (laughs) Um, You know, this kind of came out in the media. Owners rarely respond to players, things like this, you know, through their own Twitter account. So it's mostly just that it's all odd. I don't think a lot of the mechanics behind it are that, you know, unusual. It's just that what's actually happening is so rare because we just don't ever see it really playing out like this. 
It, you know, and to me, Doug, it feels like, you know, the Nets are just operating at such a deficit here, right? Because teams yeah. know KD wants out. Of, at, this, at this point, it feels incredibly unlikely that we're ever going to see him suit up for the Brooklyn Nets again. Like, it just, I, I feel like that ship has since sailed. I know at one point in time earlier this offseason, there was maybe some optimism that, you know, maybe they could convince KD to, to want to run it back in Brooklyn with the pieces around them. Because, like, you look at the roster and there's, there's talent there. There's success to be had if you could get him to kind of buy back in. But if you're Sean Marks in the Nets front office, this has to be such a difficult standpoint to try and negotiate from when you know that the rest of the rest of the league knows that KD wants out. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's 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 you know, and and that's why I think to some degree we see the list of teams expanding. You know, the Sixers entered the fray. The Sixers entered the 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 GM chat. It seemed like the other day where they that was kind of bandied about. Um, I think you'll see maybe another team or two kind of get into the mix, at least from the rumor mill standpoint, because they probably feel like this is maybe a lower hanging fruit than maybe once seemed. I think that's where the Sixers came in. It's like, oh. Maybe the price isn't going to be that high because now the price is all coming down and we might not want this guy or like the the, you know, just this didn't give Durant sort of the leverage they maybe thought it was going to. I do think it wouldn't be crazy to hear about another team enter this as just just as part of the rumors. Um, I don't see how it's going to be resolved here. This has been sort of always what it's felt like the problem is. I think it's clear what everyone thinks they want, but how the resolution is. I also do wonder if this is one of those situations, and I mean, I would, wouldn't mind your opinion about this, but the, I wonder if this is one of those situations where you at least have a conversation. If it was really about just Nash and Marks that had to go, if that's a real conversation among side to say, maybe this is one of the rare scenarios where we go with the player <laughs> instead of instead of the front office. I know that's almost never considered because it seems so weird, and anytime I've mentioned it has been I. I get predictable backlash around this. I, I have said this a few times value above replacement in terms of replacing the player or the organization. There's very few guys that can do what Kevin Durant does. There are a lot more that can do what Sean Marks does. I, that's just math. Like that's not a hot take. That's just the math. I can see why you wouldn't want to do it, but to not have the conversation to me would be nuts because Sean Marks is a good GM, whatever. How many guys can do what he does? A hundred. 200, like more, there's seven guys total, maybe that's, that's way high that can do what Kevin Durant can do. Is it nuts to at least have the conversation like I, that? I, I maybe he gets what he wants. <laughs> I don't think it's nuts, but what I want now, Doug, is I want like an Excel spreadsheet with like the VORP for all of the GMs in the league. That's what I want to see now, but no, like I, it's just to me, right? You look at the KD situation, you're like, this is already an organization that has done so much. Like every beck and whim for KD to this point has, has catered to his every request. Has Great, do the last, do the last thing too. Do, just do this last one. Yeah, do the <laughs> just do the last. One. I mean, yeah, but like you, you see where it's gotten you to this point. So like maybe maybe this last one. No, I I don't know. I mean, it's. It's so much, man, to try and figure out. And and the other, it feels like, right, KD is the big domino, right? It's felt like the entire offseason kind of came to a grinding halt the moment the KD request came out. And right now, you know, involving the, the, the KD saga, you know, sitting off on the side, the Nets still have to figure out what they're going to do with Kyrie Irving. How much does what's going on with KD right now impact the situation with Kyrie? And, and could the Nets maybe benefit from... I don't want to say jumping the gun, but making a decision, you know, separate from KD about what they're going to do with Kyrie Irving, because it feels like the KD situation isn't going to resolve itself anytime soon at this point. 
Yeah, it's Kyrie and it's more. It's like they, they don't really can't make any more decisions. They still have at least two roster spots open because they need to keep those open in case they make a trade that brings in more players. So they can't they couldn't even go to full free agency here because they needed they didn't want to have to cut people and have those guys be on the hook for. So they have a couple guys with um, non-guaranteed money and they just have two roster spots open right now just sort of waiting. And I don't know. I even know how you resolve that because almost definitely in any scenario, you're going to bring back more players than you're going to send out in a Kevin Durant trade. So just from a, just from a baseline roster perspective, they have major issues here. And then, like you said, with Kyrie, you really can't know what to do with him because there's a world where if Kevin Durant goes, you can consider a one season tank here because this is the one season where they don't, they only swap with the Rockets. And so, and the Rockets are going to be in the lottery almost definitely too. So it'd be unlikely to get killed going forward. They cannot tank, but this one year they could think about a mini little reset tank, try to get a draft pick, figure it out around Simmons and go forward like that. And then whatever they got back in the Durant trade. Um, and Kyrie would have to go out in that scenario. And if the Lakers were going to offer up two first round picks and you bring back Westbrook, I don't know, whatever I it's there's the point being there are, so many things the Nets simply can't figure out right now because they this has to get ironed out first. And if this goes all the way into the season, they're just not going to know. They're going to have an incomplete roster. They It'll be totally rudderless. And this is what the Nets are staring down. Now, Katie knows this, by the way. I mean, this is why you saw the ultimate going back to the beginning here. This is why you saw the ultimatum with Cy. I'm sure that ultimatum, ultimatum was not new. I'm sure this was conveyed early. It was more recently conveyed to everyone else to put the pressure on the Nets. I don't think at that meeting was the first time they heard this is the reason you want to be traded. It was just when Shams told everybody <laughs> through the reporting, that's when everyone found out. And that was meant to apply. This is like, I'm going to step on your neck moment and let's just see what you do. And it's, it's got the Nets totally flummoxed here. And then they can't, and they're just, it's, it's, you know, it's total paralysis. They can't do anything. They have to trade them. They almost can't trade them. I, if you, this is why I'm stumbling here. This is like there's so few outs about how this even gets resolved. And this is why I just think it's going to be just stagnant for a while because there's just no good. There's no good way to handle this. And from your perspective, Doug, I know you said this earlier, right? You talk about it, it, this isn't the first trade request that's ever happened. There's going to be more trade requests in the future, right? Things like this happen in the NBA with star players. But to you, maybe do you think that this situation might be viewed as maybe a turning point in your eyes for the NBA as a whole, when it comes to maybe just the level of like this whole player empowerment movement, how much sway these types of star players have within an organization? Because I think up until this point, we, it, this is kind of unprecedented territory for a star to ask out with this much time left on his deal, all of this, right? It was, it was unprecedented when it happened with Anthony Davis. Then they, we won up that with James Harden asking out with three years left on his deal. And now Katie with four years left. Like, do you, see this as maybe a turning point where organizations front offices are like okay we need to rein back in how much power we give to these players and how much say that they have yeah so player empowerment in in my opinion is an overused term i know why i use it i use it too but it's really player empowerment is really should be defined as top 15 player empowerment that's the only players that have empowerment. <laughs> like those, there's 15 or maybe 20, and that's really pushing it, guys who we refer to in, when we refer to player empowerment. We're not talking about Jeff Green or Malik Beasley or you know, basically the entire, I'm just going to name well, every. Let, let's, name call, let's call it all NBA empowerment, right? The, the all NBA rosters, because that's yes, kind of what we're looking go. at. Yes. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, you cut me off from just giving you a list of all the middle tier uh, NBA players, which I was could have done. We've done for like seven minutes. No. Yeah. No. This is this is really only def- refined defined um, by a very few select guys. Now it makes sense. Those are the best players. You have you need these guys to win the championship. You need one of these guys on your team, re- preferably two or something like that, to be able to win the championship. Does this reset that um, this sort of um, you know talking point around it? I, I really don't think so because I think that always the players they know the bell that cannot be unrung is the players now know and they are correct they are the talent that drives the NBA. This group of players is who every team needs. This is why teams will still trade for Kevin Durant even though. He know he just asked out in the contract and he could do it to your team next year. They will do it because it's Kevin Durant, right? This is why when when LeBron James will find a team next year, like this is what these guys will. This is why Kawhi Leonard, who wanted out of San Antonio and then left the Spurs after winning a championship, the Clippers are like, dude, how many years do you want? You got it, all the money, sure, because this is the group of guys that you need to win. So I think around this group, actually, very little will change because the rest of it, no other player does. Like the rest of the NBA does not ask to be empowered except to get paid more money. They're not asking for trades. They're not holding their team ransom. They're not doing any of their things. So I really don't think much will change just because the players that are in this tier just know how much power they will yield. And they're always proven right because someone will always want them. So I don't actually think much will change from this. And I don't know. That's probably not what people want to hear, but (laughs) because I think people want to, have something so this can't happen to their team. When it happens to your team, it's the worst. It stinks. It's it, it's you think you're going to root for Kevin Durant for the next four years, and then he wants out. I get it. It's it's the worst. I just don't around a guy that or a group of guys that are unhappy in situations. I just don't see how it changes. How will Joe Sy and the rest of the Nets front office navigate this most recent ultimatum from Kevin Durant? How will the saga continue to play out in Brooklyn? You're going to have us covered for all of that and more over at Locked on Nets. Doug, I appreciate you stopping my Locked on NBA with me. All right. Thanks a lot. Coming up, is this season a make it or break it year for the LA Clippers? But first, a quick message from our friends over at Built Bar. Because when it comes to protein bars, you've got to check out Built Bar. They're the number one protein bar on the market. And for a great reason, for a bunch of great reasons, actually. First, every single bar is coated in 100% delicious chocolate. They're not gritty or chalky like other protein bars out there. They're soft. They're easy to chew. So many incredible flavors to choose from. you got raspberry, strawberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, peanut butter. My personal favorite is the coconut brownie chunk, but you really can't go wrong with a single bar on their menu. Every single bar is low-cal, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing if you're on a keto diet, amazing if you're trying to cut back a little bit, maybe lose a little bit of weight. You can check them out. Just go to built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off your very next order of the best-tasting protein bars on the market. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. And continuing on here at Locked On NBA Monday, as always, thank you so much for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. Joining us now is the new host of the Locked On Clippers podcast, Darian Vaziri, who you can follow on Twitter at Dime Dropper Pod. Darian, first off, happy to have you as part of the Locked On Network. Can't wait to see all of the work you're going to be putting in over at Locked On Clippers. And here today, we're going to kind of get a little bit of a check-in on this Clippers team. And probably, I guess, the, the, the biggest thing, the biggest acquisition, if you will, maybe for the Clippers this offseason was getting John Wall. This was like a guy, I mean, look, I cover the 
Rockets here in Houston. John Wall always felt like going to the Clippers was just the right next move for him, whether it was going to happen via a trade, whether it was going to happen via buyout and him just signing there, which is ultimately what did happen. You know, it, it just kind of felt like that was going to be the next logical step for John Wall's career. So I want to ask you, what does the addition of John Wall mean for this L.A. Clippers team? Well, first of all, I want to say I appreciate the introduction and I cannot wait to get started. It's a dream of mine to be talking about my favorite team like this. As far as John Wall, I think the logic of bringing him in was the one thing the Clippers have really lacked in the Kawhi Paul George era is somebody who can get downhill and get two feet in the paint, put some pressure on the defense, drive and kick. Kawhi, as great as he is, he's more of a mid-range, mid-post kind of assassin. He doesn't really get by guys as much as he used to. And Paul George, he does, He does, I'd say. But besides Paul, you know, Reggie Jackson can do it a little bit. But John Wall, I mean, when you go back to his Washington days, that guy had a first step like no other. He could get into the paint at will. And I'm really curious mainly to see if he still has that burst and what level of elevation and explosion he still has. Because he didn't play basketball all of last year. Obviously, that wasn't an injury thing. You got uh, you as the, the Rockets held him out. And I actually think, funny enough, that you're asking me this question. I want to ask you a question. How did he look when he played in 2021? You know, I, I think the crazy thing is, Darian, it's, you know, John Wall, I feel like there was this perception, right, that he's washed, that his career was over. And that was never the case, right? John Wall wasn't washed. He still had a lot left in the tank, and I'm still, you know, firmly a proponent of the idea that he can help contribute to winning basketball. The, the problem was is nobody wanted him for what he could provide at the $47 million price tag. That's the problem, right? So the Clippers are getting him on a bargain deal, a two-year contract, about $6 million a year, a team option in the second part of the year, in the second year of the deal, which I thought was just absurd that he would get that the Clippers got that friendly of a deal for John Wall. He, he's going to provide exactly what the Clippers have been missing. I think that kind of like true, like floor general kind of playmaker to really help Kawhi and PG get in spots where they can be successful. I do wonder what that does, though, in your eyes. What does that do? Where do they wind up putting Reggie Jackson like in the lineup? Like in your eyes, do you have kind of a projected starting five that you're envisioning for this Clippers squad? And, and is it or would Reggie and John be starting side by side in the backcourt possibly? No, I don't think so. That's too small. Uh, in today's NBA, I, I, honestly, not just today's NBA, I think in the last four decades or so, having two guys under 6'4 in your backcourt is just too small, in my opinion. But the way you're talking, it sounds like John Wall is still better than Reggie Jackson from what you're sounding. So if he is, that's more than I expect. Uh, me personally, though, I like, I'm big on continuity. I really like, I want Reggie to start because he knows the team and he's played with Kawhi and Paul. And in 2021, Reggie Jackson had, in my opinion, the best season of his career, playing a lot of off-ball, just catch-and-shoot Reggie. We coined, as Clipper fans, we coined catch-and-shoot Reggie because he was so unbelievably efficient and found this zone when Patrick Beverly was injured alongside Kawhi and Paul that he took into the playoffs. And, I mean, the rest is history. Everybody knows about what happened in that playoffs. So my uh, hope is that Reggie Jackson starts, and then we have John off the bench. However, I trust that Ty Lue will make the right decision. If John Wall is going to start, uh, I'm okay with it, and I'm interested to see how it works. My only concern with John Wall is kind of similar to how Russell Westbrook is treated in ways. I know teams are going to go under all these screens uh, for the most part and allow him to shoot, and he's never been a great shooter, and I know I don't think his mid-range has really gotten that much better. I'm not the type of guy that needs him to shoot threes, but we'll see. I heard that catch and shoot threes he wasn't that bad at in 2021, so I'm interested to see how that looks, but – it's going to be just interesting to see how teams guard him. I think they're going to really try to go underneath screens and make try to bait 
him to shoot the outside shot. And um, the main thing is how frequent can he, how frequently can he get into the paint and put pressure on the defense? Kind of a two-parter here for you. What in your eyes are is the the biggest storyline headed into this season for the Clippers, and then subsequently maybe a more so under the radar storyline that you're going to be paying attention to, kind of going into the season and as the season progresses. I'd say under the radar. I I'd say are we going to get a backup center? You know, losing Isaiah Hartenstein is a big loss. I love him. He thinks he'd be great in New York. And we only have really one center on our team right now that has really played minutes for us and real rotation minutes in the league, and that's Zoo. So even though I think Ty Lue is going to go small ball for a lot of time this season and, and in the playoffs a lot, I think it may be beneficial. What if Zoo gets injured? What if you know he's sitting out some games? What if he gets in foul trouble to have a backup center? And we have you know some young guys, Moses Brown and et cetera, that may get a chance, but we'll see if if Ty really trusts them to be regular rotation guys. As far as the main storyline, there is nothing more obvious than Kawhi Leonard. What is he going to look like? What version are, are we getting the exact same Kawhi Leonard that we lost in 2021 that's on his day to me, arguably the best player in the NBA? If we can get that guy, we have as good a chance as any. And obviously, if Paul George and Kawhi can stay healthy at least 55 to 60 plus games, I don't expect 70, but anywhere between 55 to 70 games, we have a great chance to have one of, if not the best record in the NBA in my eyes. So going into this next season, Darian, you know, health permitting, assuming a clean bill of health for, we'll say all teams, right? I'm not just talking Clippers. I'm talking every team in the NBA gets a clean bill of health. Everybody's fully healthy. Injury, injuries are turned off, right? That kind of like 2K slider type thing. Yeah. Where would you rank the Clippers right now out West compared to the other teams? You know, I would rank us, my bias wants to say we're the best team in the NBA, but I'm going to give the respect to the champions and say we're second because I just respect the grind that it takes to win a championship. As a fan of a team who's never won, I know how hard it is. So I'm going to go with the Warriors first, but I absolutely think we're better than the Suns, the Lakers, the Grizzlies. I'm not afraid of any of these teams. I think we have so many switchable wings, and that's really what this NBA is about. Right now, you saw with the Boston Celtics this season, switchable wings. We have two elite scorers that can go off for 30 any given night. And the best part, two best parts, we have an amazing coach, and we have him in his third season now with the team. And we have a lot of guys that have been on the team for a couple of years that have played together. And we haven't had a major shakeup. As you said, the biggest move really was John Wall. That's a small move. You know, it's nothing huge. We're not losing anybody big besides Isaiah Hardenstein. So... I think the continuity is going to be great, and I think we're set up for a really good season, as as you said, barring injury. The continuity is absolutely going to be a huge part for this Clippers team moving forward. And I do, I, you know, looking kind of up and down, just the not just the Western Conference, but the entire NBA, I, I struggle to look at a team that has anywhere near the depth that the Clippers do because you can look up and down their roster. And I mean, they can go... I feel like you go 12, 13 deep on that Clippers roster and feel Literally. really comfortable about, you know, the the 11th, 12th, and 13 guys, you know, on, on that roster, on that team. And there's not a lot of NBA teams that can say that, that they can go 12 or 13 deep on any given night and feel really, really good about whoever they're dropping on the floor, plugging and playing for certain matchups, that kind of thing. There's a lot of flexibility with that Clippers roster. Now, Darian, when you, when you look at this Clippers team right now, right? Mm-hmm haven't yet to achieve it possibly, you know, the, the highest level. I don't want to say it's been underwhelming during the, the, the PG-13 Kawhi era, but is it fair to look at this season as almost a make or break this year for the Clippers? Totally. I think this is the first time 
I'd say in 2019, 20 going into the season, I had a championship robust expectation, but I think, you know, I honestly, I think that was fair considering the Lakers won the championship and they had just got Anthony Davis and a bunch of new players. That was fair to go in with that expectation, but I'm much more confident with Ty Lue as our coach, much more confident with a couple of years under our belt. And I'm, I think a much better fit overall as a team. Um, Cause what people were going with that season was we had Lou Williams and Harrell and having the two six men that got us to a 48 win season plus adding Kawhi and Paul George. Everybody's like, Oh my God, they're so stacked. But I think this depth fits a lot better, much better complementary pieces around those guys. I mean, Robert Covington and Norman Powell haven't even played alongside Kawhi Leonard yet. So that's going to be so fun. It's absolutely championship robust. In my opinion, I think the only season besides that 2020 season where the Clippers can ever say this, that it's championship robust, but it truly is because if, even if, there's injuries again. Then we got to start asking another question. Can the team stay healthy enough to win a championship? So either way, if we don't win the championship, to me, it's a failure. And I know that's harsh, especially as a Clipper fan saying that, but it's reality. We have such a great team. And I think Lawrence Frank, Michael Winger, Jerry West, all of them bomber have put the Clippers in such an amazing position to contend this year. What version of Kawhi Leonard will the Clippers get this year? Will it be the the Kawhi of old, the top you know top five player in the NBA, Kawhi Leonard? Where will the Clippers ultimately shake out in the Western Conference? You're gonna have us covered for all of that and more as the new host over at Locked On Clippers, Darian. I appreciate you stopping by Locked On NBA with me. Thank you so much, Jackson. Coming up, the newest beef in the NBA between Paolo Bancaro and DeJounte Murray, of all people. What sparked this beef, and what can we expect from this rivalry moving forward? We'll get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked On NBA Monday. As always, appreciate you for making Locked On NBA your first listen each and every day. We are free and available on all podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as YouTube. Go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Joining us now is Philip Rossman Reich from Locked On Magic to talk about the freshest, never frozen beef, the newest beef in the NBA between one Paolo Bancaro and DeJounte Murray. Philip, this like just beef rivalry seemingly like popped up overnight. And I I have to imagine that there may have been some something going on before the, the stuff that made this whole thing public, right? You saw Paolo Bancaro, DeJounte Murray kind of competing in the competing in these like pro-am leagues and games. And you saw, you know, Murray kind of clown Bancaro a little bit with the behind the back and the, you know, off the board and all this. So to your knowledge, was there anything kind of preceding this or was that like the catalyst where everything just took off and then they started taking shots at each other on social media? Yeah, I I, I don't know where this started from. Uh, you know, it, it seemed so weird. And so like I, I saw the play and I was like uh, from Zeke weekend last weekend and I was just like, oh, that was that was a really nice play. It's a pro-am, you know, rookie got rooked. It, it, ha- it happens. And then you watch it and, and watch it, watch the teeth back on that again. And Murray is jawing at Paolo, which, okay, whatever. It's a pro-am. Paolo likes to jaw at people too. It, it, it's, it's part of the game, especially in that setting. And then he just like chucks the ball at, at him. And at that point, I was just like, there, there's, there's something else going on. And if you go watch like the extended highlights of that game, I don't know where it started or how it started or why DeJounte Murray was treating a freaking pro-am game like it was a playoff game because that was the intensity he was playing. If you watch the highlights, DeJounte Murray is playing at an NBA level intensity. And Paolo Bancaro, like 
he's a pretty cool, chill dude. He, he lets things like flow off of him. He's just kind of going about his business in a pro-am and Deshante Burry is just going after him. And I, I don't know what started it. You know, maybe there was something said that ticked Dejounte Murray off, but um, it, it's hard for me to believe that it was anything to that level to 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 make a pro am game feel that intense. It, it, what's crazy too is like how quickly Philip did did Dejounte Murray become public enemy number one in the eyes of Orlando Magic fans based on this whole interaction with Paolo Bancaro. Oh, very, very, very quickly. I mean, uh, Paolo, Paolo's our guy. Like, we're, 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 we're going to back him. And, you know, it's been very interesting, like, watching NBA fans react to this and just saying, like, what is DeJounte Murray, dude? What is this dude's problem? And look, Magic fans want rivalries. We want to, to hate people. You know, thank God George Carl stepped in this because now we get – and George Carl stepped in this and said, hey, rookie, you need to be quiet. You don't, you don't get to talk trash until you're a veteran. And I'm just like – Thank God we could bring back the rivalry with George Carl. We were getting a little too chummy with George Carl since he was the guy that brought Jamal Mosley into the league. The Magic need that old rivalry with the, with Milwaukee Bucks George Carl alive. We need our we need our hatred for the Miami Heat. Frankly, man, Dennis, it's Dennis Schroeder's team over over in Germany with with Franz Wagner. We need to hate the Houston Rockets again a little bit too. Um, so it's 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 it, 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 it look Magic fans just want relevance, and so to be relevant enough to be talking about this a week later is 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 a win for us. I'm sorry. Look, I'm sure also coming through, you know, as we navigate this whole upcoming season, I'm sure you and I are going to have plenty of back and forth with Paolo Bencaro, Jabari Smith Jr., but that's not the beef that we're going to focus on today, Philip. <laughs> we're we're going to keep things concentrated on DeJounte Murray right now, which because to me, like it's almost like this like unprecedented like villain arc that DeJounte Murray is now on. But if you talk to like Spurs fans and people who are like closely following, you know, San Antonio, this isn't exactly like new behavior for DeJounte Murray, but because and I, I've had people refer to like the San Antonio Spurs as like the private school of the NBA because they're just like <laughs> hidden down there. Like nobody's really like paying it. Like there's no antics or whatever. And maybe it's because things were just maybe a little bit more hush hush, like playing under Popovich. And you didn't get to see DeJounte Murray with this level of like personality Spice. as much. But it's but now he's playing like, is this the most villainous backcourt now in the NBA between Trey Young and DeJounte Murray in Atlanta? It's, it's going to be up there. I mean, I think people like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson enough at this point because they're like legacy, they're legacy players now. But, they're Clay, not, but Clay is so likable. And I'm saying Clay that as like a likable. guy who covers and loves the Houston Rockets. Like Clay's just a lovable guy. It's, so it's, it's, it's hard. It is hard to hate Clay. I, I, I personally kind of do because him playing in the NIT when he's back at Washington State cost my Northwestern Wildcats a trip to New York. Um, but that's, that's a story for another day. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it, it's it's pretty. Pr they're pretty high up there. I mean, Trey Young plays to the crowd. Like I, I think like Trey Young, it's a little bit of an act. Like Dejounte Murray, this feels like he he looks for. He's kind of like he's like Michael Jordan without the Michael Jordan talent. He looks for the spite to, to 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 amp him up. And look, he got amped up in that game. His team won very easily. Paolo treated it like a pro am game. Dejounte Murray treated it like a playoff, like an NBA game. You, you figure out you can figure out who won who won from that, but. You know, Atlanta needs needs that energy. That Atlanta loves that energy. I'll, I'll say this: like, Atlanta, I haven't listened to what Hawks fans have said about this whole thing. They're probably loving it because you know the, the Hawks, the Atlanta, Atlanta as a city loves to stir the pot like that. That's why they love Trey Young. That's why they love a lot of the things they do. And and look, more power to Hawks fans. That's gonna be a fun team to watch this year.
Are, and in your eyes, Philip, are, are beefs and rivalries like this, you know, ultimately a good thing for, for the league and for, for the, you know, for the NBA, for the players themselves? Because it kind of, in today's NBA, it almost feels like we don't have many of these anymore. Like, it felt like there were more, you know, prominent, like, just rivalries, head-to-head, you know, just players that really just did not like each other whatsoever, like, in years past. And I feel like a lot of that's kind of calmed down as of late. So it'd be, it, to me, it'd be kind of nice to see a new, like, budding rivalry, hatred, whatever, if that's what you want to call it, between Bancaro and, and Murray here for years to come. You know, like the one thing that I think basketball has over so many of the other sports is basketball, it has personality ingrained into its culture. Like you go, you go play on the flat, on the blacktop, you go play at any gym, you do pickup runs. You are inevitably going to be talking smack to someone. You're, a, you're inevitably, you're, it's your face to face with the guy. You're one-on-one with someone else. You see them. There's no helmet. There's no, there's no gear to, to block your view. It is the most personal, it is the most like kind of visceral, like one-on-one game there is. And the NBA works because it has personality. When Damian waved goodbye to the Oklahoma City Thunder, I was laughing on the floor. We love these guys. Like, look, you may there may be heroes and villains as far as what fans perceive, but we love these stories. It's why wrestling is still extremely popular. We love these stories. We love the game within the game. It's not just about who won the game. I always say this about the NBA. It's a journey, not the destination. It's about the storylines and the people that get us there. And yeah, you got to have a little swag to be good in the NBA. Uh, I, I have none. If you can't tell, if you can tell, but you got to have a little sweat, you got to have a little swag. You got to, you got to, you got to take some stuff personally and you got to be able to go at it. I mean, you know, shoot <laughs> the guys, the guys, the, the greatest stories are the guys that do something to shut a fan up or shut some other player on the team up. It's, going too too small when they when they when they put someone too small on you that stuff is what makes the nba and what makes basketball so fun so i'm all for adding personality and and, and not having robots on the floor how will this newest rivalry pan out between Paolo Bancaro, DeJounte Murray, the Orlando Magic, the Atlanta Hawks? Of course, you're going to cover for all of that and more over at locked on magic philip i appreciate you stopping my locked on nba with me thanks for having me on man That's going to do it for another Monday edition of Locked On NBA. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, the Odyssey app, free and available on all platforms. We are also on YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked On NBA. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We look forward to having you back right here at Locked On NBA, the biggest story with the local experts.